Welcome to Creatively Brief, a podcast for creatives by creatives. My name is Michael Tumlin, and I'm a graphic designer, videographer, and creative looking to learn as much as I can in all creative industries. Every week, I sit down with different creatives to hear their stories, their processes, and learn how to be a better creative. This show is full of real conversations with real creatives, bringing you real advice as you navigate the creative industry. My name is Michael Tumlin, and you're listening to Creatively Brief. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 43 of Creatively Brief, a podcast for creatives by creatives. I'm your host, Michael Tumlin, and I'm happy to welcome from Laughing Samurai partner and creative director, Gilbert Gomez, to today's show. Hey, Gilbert, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for being on the show. I'm really excited to dive into this. I haven't had a ton of kind of UX UI people on the show. Um, I did just have Avery Smith, if you're familiar with him, and that was a great mm-hmm. episode. Uh, but UX UI design is not something I'm overly familiar with. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm really excited to kind of dive into it and, and get into some of the details. So I appreciate you being awesome. here. Yeah, you got it. So before we dive too deep into anything, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your work and sort of where you're at in your career right now? Um, well, right now I'm creative director at Laughing Samurai and, and you know, you kind of evolve into that role. Um, I've always been the, the, the creative director here, um, but I kind of, you know, of course, at this stage in my life, I kind of, you, you fall into that role right. one way or another. Um, and yeah, I mean, this is, this is, I've been doing this for, I guess, now going on 14 years now. That's awesome, man. Uh, and and I think creative director is something that I've always kind of been drawn to. Uh, and I don't, I know it kind of, to a degree, can kind of differ from place to place. Um, but I think that's a really cool role to kind of get that that bigger picture look at things. Um, so again, mm-hmm. I'm excited to kind of dive into some of this stuff today. Uh, cool. But yeah, before we get too deep into that, uh, what was sort of your first introduction to design? Do you remember sort of a moment where maybe you saw something and it kind of clicked that graphic design was like a, a profession you could go into? <laughs> I mean, that that's a loaded question. And the only reason yeah. I say that is because every time people ask that, it's like it was a, a kind of a, an ongoing situation for me. So as a child, as a kid, when I was younger, maybe in my teens, I, you know, I used to draw graffiti and I used to right. kind of go through all that growing up in New York. And that was a big influence for me. Graffiti was a big influence for me. Um, and being in New York in general, that's kind of like the epicenter of advertising. Right. So it kind of just uh, it kind of just happened. But um, as I got through my life and started college, I thought I wanted to be a product designer and then realized that I wasn't good at building stuff. And apparently (laughs) you have to build stuff as a product designer or design (laughs) things in three dimensions. So, um, you know, I struggled with that for a little bit in my first year of college, but then it kind of just happened. Um, I kind of had a realization that I'm like, wait, because I've I, I come from a sales centered family. So everyone okay. in my family either has some kind of business and I always did their stuff like signage or, right. um, you know, there's a uh, hand, write, hand drawing signs for my cousin who owns the, the store or the salon or, you know, doing a flyer for this other business from another cousin or an aunt or an uncle. Right. And then in college, I'm like, wait a second, I'm just supposed to be a graphic designer. Like stop fighting it. Yeah. So then so then that's when once I embraced that in college and it kind of just took off from there and and that's where I'm at now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's crazy. So you were like doing design before you knew that you were going to do design. Correct. And yeah. I and I understood typography before I knew I was going to understand typography. So that's I was crazy. drawing typography before I even knew what the parts of the of of a typeface were. Right. You know, or even what lettering was at that point. 
Yeah. So, yeah. I was doing uh, design before I went to college for it, uh, but I wouldn't say that I necessarily understood it yet. Uh, I look back mm-hmm. at some of those early designs and uh, oh, yeah. they, they weren't great, but uh, but that's cool mm-hmm. though, that because I think a lot of people kind of get to college and they'll see other people doing it, uh, or even if it's before college, you know, they see other people doing it, but they're not really working on in it. So mm-hmm. that's kind of like a unique place to come from where you were already kind of doing it. Uh, you just didn't realize that that's what you were yeah, going to do. Yeah, and I'm not saying I was good at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't get good at it until I actually started learning. Right. Um, when I started learning, then I started thinking better and, and understanding better what I was doing and right. what what are the right and wrong ways to go about things. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that's uh, looking back at my college. I remember that was kind of a big adjustment. My junior year, I remember. So that was my first year in the program. And I was looking at it and and at my high school, I was kind of like the guy, right? I made all the club shirts. I did all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And then I got up there and I realized like all of these people are like the people. And I was like, oh, so now there's like a whole bunch of talented people. I remember that being kind of weird. And then getting into my senior year and seeing, I was actually just talking with a couple people that are seniors this year and talking about how like, like you learned so much in that last year. And I look back and I'm like, it is night and day between, you know, when I came into the program versus now. And it's just crazy to look back and see how much you learn, especially so fast. Um, it's it's so, really crazy. Yeah. So one, one thing that stuck for me um, as I came through it, and one thing that kind of pushed me over the edge was one, one teacher said to not me, another student. Yeah. They were like, you need to get over yourself. Yeah. So once, once I realized that point that I'm like, you need to get over yourself, you know, you can take it whichever way you want to take it. For some people, it can be like, stop thinking you're the best and just, right. you know, take feedback for what it is. Or it can also be like, get out of your own way. You know, like sometimes yeah. you, you stay in your way and you block yourself. And once that happened for me in school, it was like, it completely changes the way you think about things Yeah. and the way you approach any problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have a similar thing with, uh, I don't, do you know, Victor Davila? Mm-hmm. I think that's yep. how you pronounce it. Yeah. Yep. I feel like everybody knows Victor. So he's my professor yeah, yeah. and, uh, mm-hmm. I, I have a similar story that I've mentioned multiple times on the show, but, uh, him telling me to stop asking so many questions, uh, cause I used to ask all the, qu- I wanted to know, well, what, like, what do you want from me, Victor? And he's like, you, you mm-hmm. gotta stop. And I look back at it. And I remember being so like, kind of just frustrated with it. Uh, mm-hmm. but I feel like as professors, that's like, I guess something maybe you don't think about. Right. But it's like those almost those intangible skills, those things like, you know, get over yourself, stop asking so mm-hmm. many questions that I mm-hmm. feel like are almost more important. Cause I mean, you can learn a lot of design stuff online, right? But those yeah. kinds of things I, I feel mm-hmm. like are invaluable. Yeah. And, and when I was teaching typography, cause I taught typography in Valencia also. Okay, cool. Um, a lot of the things I used to tell people was, um, you know, um, fake it till you make it, which, you know, it can, it can be a negative, but it wasn't a negative. It was like, people were so stuck on trying to make something so perfect. And I'm like, right. no, just, you know, it's, it, that's not important right now. Right. You know, what's important is that you're getting the message across that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Right. You know? And, um, and yeah, and I, and I, I kind of, I, I instilled that a lot in, in a lot of my students where it was like, you know, stop worrying about the little stuff and, and also don't get defensive. You know, yeah. a lot of people start getting defensive early on and I'm like, don't get defensive. Like I'm not, I'm not giving you feedback because I'm a megalomaniac super dictator that I just want to tell you how to do everything. Yeah. I'm giving you feedback from the real world, you know? I mean, I've yeah. been working for a while, so I understand. Yeah. Clients are looking for what people are looking for. So a lot of what I would tell them is don't get defensive, just hear it for what right. it is. Right. And, and some people would take it, some people wouldn't. And, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And so kind of looking at whenever you got out of college, right? You graduated, you're fresh out. Uh, what is it that you wanted to go into? What aspect of design? Because you talked about how your original interest was product design. Was UX, yeah. UI design kind of on your radar at that point? It wasn't. Um, UX, UI just happened uh, happened as I shifted to what the market was um, requesting from me. Right. Um, so I, I kind of got my chops in design for print for marketing. Um, I did some editorial design. Okay. And then it started morphing as I got more into editorial design, I started morphing into design for web and design for, for apps. So, and then user interface and user experience design is kind of like what it kind of turned into. Right. But, um, but, uh, you know, I, I have been designing for, for the web for a long time, but it's not how I got my start. Um, I got my start in print, mostly predominantly print, which I think um, influences a lot of what I do today. Right. Because I don't approach, I don't approach uh, web design as a web designer would approach it. I approach it as a print designer. Right. So I'm, I'm usually designing layouts and pages as opposed to designing long form, which right. is what a lot of designers, um, a lot of web designers do. And I'm not saying I'm better than. Right. I just approach it. I just look at it differently. You know. Yeah. I look at web design differently. Yeah. And and but now with user experience, you know, you have to kind of bring it back and still understand that uh, web is not print. You right. Know? So it, 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 it comes with its own challenges yeah. and it comes with its own um, hurdles. So, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I have a couple friends that told me that they thought my style would be really good for uh, UI UX design. And mm-hmm. I, I'm very like, I like really minimal designs, lots of white space and stuff. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I love layout design, like traditional, you know, like uh, uh, mm-hmm. physical paper, InDesign, all that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But when I try to make the jump to UI UX design, you're talking about the different challenges. It just doesn't feel right. And so I don't know what it is in my head that's got to click, um, but mm-hmm. it's definitely, like, you're right. There's like, there's something different about it. I think, and it's so hard to, I imagine, uh, because whenever you're designing something like this, right, whether it's an app or or a website, like there's the the scalability of it and like the actual just like the screen, like there's so many different screen sizes and you got to take all that into account. And I think I've got mm-hmm. a question about that later, so I won't dive too deep into yeah. it, but I find yeah, yeah, it interesting yeah. to try to think about, mm-hmm. you know, you got to, I feel like there's more variables you have to think about when you're making it. And it's like a, there's whole, a lot of variables, a whole other world. Yeah, there's a, it's a whole other world. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then transitioning a little bit into your time at Laughing Samurai. Uh, so how did mm-hmm. you start working at Laughing Samurai? What is sort of your story getting involved with that? Um, well, I started Laughing Samurai with my business partner. Awesome. So cool. we started it about, I, I, I can't remember what year it is. And I keep forgetting. We just passed our 10 year anniversary, like a couple of years ago. So I'm thinking we're at about 13, 14 years. Okay. Um, so that's, that's kind of where Laughing Samurai came from. Yeah. Um, it was me and my business partner, you know, had the idea of starting an agency and then we just, you know, went for it. Yeah. That's what we did. So that's, that's kind of how it started. Yeah. And so then what, what kind of, uh, what were those conversations like before you did it? I imagine that would be a little bit intimidating. It's almost like when people make the jump to freelance, right? It's almost like, man, I hope mm-hmm. this works. Uh, so yeah. did you guys have anything, uh, any, I guess, apprehensions to it? Or did you guys have any things that you thought would maybe set you apart in the the sphere of uh, user interface and all that? Uh, no, not really. It, it, it was, um, 
I had already, I had already been freelancing for a while. Okay. Um, but it was just me on my own. So it was more the decision of, do I want to keep, uh, just stay in a freelance capacity or do I want to actually grow this thing? Right. Um, and growing this thing was kind of the organic next step. It right. wasn't like a forced, it was like, okay, it seems like on my own, I can't deliver all this work that I'm, that is being requested of me. Right. So I need to get help. Right. Um, so that was kind of the, what birthed Laughing Samurai. Um, and I already had a friendship with Ben, who's my business partner. Mm -hmm. And I approached him about it and we kind of, we talked back and forth and then we said, yeah, okay, let's do this together. And then, you know, it, it just kind of took off from there. Yeah. And it was in, in the early days, um, it was mostly Microsoft and Amazon work okay. that was coming in for, for us. And that, that kind of propelled laughing samurai to what it is now. And, and yeah. it was, some of it was print. Some of it was web. It was a combination of things. Right. But because, because Microsoft was such a big part of us when we started, um, we kind of fell into UX UI by, by need. Yeah. Absolutely. Because they, they were doing a lot of work, you know, across different marketing channels for, for web, um, for web work. Yeah. I imagine, yeah, a company like Microsoft, man, they're huge and they got yeah. so many different products. Um, Correct. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool. Uh, and then the atmosphere. What is the atmosphere like there? Because I, I was uh, scrolling through your website uh, and mm -hmm. your branding feels like it has a lot of personality to it. And I feel like sometimes you can see things, not that it's bad, but they'll be a little bit more uh, reserved, right? And I don't know if that's mm -hmm. maybe so that they can let, you know, they want it to seem more like it's the client's voice and this and that. But I feel like having the personality mm -hmm. almost like kind of draws you into the website. I like genuinely enjoyed looking through the website. So what is that like? Uh, what was the kind of mindset behind that? Um, well, it's who we are. So one thing that is true about us is that we're honest. So what you see on the website is who we are. It's not yeah. a persona. It's not, it's not, a. It, I mean, it is our brand, obviously, but it's not, it wasn't created. It was right. kind of just it, the, it's a reflection of who we are. Right. And as far as atmosphere within Laughing Samurai, I mean, we, we tend to hire very unique, talented, passionate, quirky people. Right. So, you know, when you have a lot of passion, you have a lot of emotion, you have a lot of intensity and, you know, we're just a bunch of people who are always really excited about really good work. Yeah. And we genuinely get excited about good work and the possibility of good work and delivering great work. Right. So that's, that's, that's how it is. And, and that's who we are. Yeah. And one of the sort of uh, uh, bullet points you had, I guess bullet point, that might not be the right way to describe it, but you talked about mm -hmm. how the company focuses on travel. Um, and, and there were a whole bunch of other things that I thought were interesting as well, but this one specifically, uh, why is that such a focus at Laughing Samurai? What, what is sort of the thought process behind travel, that? Travel as it relates to our culture um, is, is important because sometimes we, I feel like we get in bubbles. Yeah. Um, and like if if you stay just within your bubble, then you don't know anything else. Right. Um, and we use travel as a way to, you know, kind of sponge up. And it's a term that we use a lot in here, sponge up ideas from other places and, right. and other things. And 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 it's not just travel for travel, but like we'll go to art festivals, we'll go to music festivals. So it's all ways to kind of sponge the brain or get all this data and input into our brain so that when we're creating, we're not just stuck in our own, you know, our own experience of the world. Right. Um, 
we also need a break every now and then. Yeah. So what better way to get a break than to go travel? And we love eating. We love good food. So, you know, that's another way to experience other parts of the world or parts of the country, you know, through food. Yeah. So it's just, it's just a part of, um, and we try to make it, um, we try to make it a team, a team thing. So, you know, we'll go together to different places yeah. and experience things together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That sounds awesome. I'm a big food guy myself. My girlfriend and I are always, we're big foodie people I'm telling you. Uh, and she yeah. went to New Orleans. I haven't been yet, but she was raving about mm -hmm. the food. So I, I got to get up there and I got to try some of it. That is, that is a food epicenter. Yeah. Yeah. You, you do need to go out there. <laughs> I'll make it up there soon <laughs> enough. It's not too far. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not. Um, so then how does working on a UX UI project, uh, differ from something like branding? Cause both of them take a lot of time, but I imagine like we were talking mm -hmm. about earlier, you know, uh, UX UI projects, they can be so complex with different screens, different platforms, uh, all those different considerations. And then once you make it, there can be bugs and things like that, that you have to kind of, you know, iterate on and make new, new adjustments, new ways to think about it. So, um, how do they kind of differ in the, the process behind them? What I will say is that UX UI will will sometimes fall under the umbrella of branding. Okay. So so branding is an umbrella term for basically, you know, and, and some people put it like what people say when you're not around, right? Right. So that's what, what branding, that's what your brand could be. But um, when you're designing uh, interfaces and when you're designing a user experience, the brand dictates what you do. So it's not that they're different. It's more that one is kind of under the other. So right. um, branding is kind of the, the, the rules that you need to follow to make sure that the thing that you're working on looks like it belongs to the person you're working on for. Right. So like that, that's, so that's a distinction I want to make. So yeah. if you're talking about developing a brand, let's mm -hmm. say like a logo design or something like that. Right. Um, the, the, they, they're still kind of the same. And, and I say that because when you're designing for, for UX, you're thinking about the user first and you're thinking about what you want the user to do or what the user wants to do. Right. Um, and, you know, you have to think about it from the top down, meaning like, are, are you getting them what they need so that they can get the things that they need to get done. Right. Whether it's making an appointment or checking their account balance, you know, right. it can be anything. Um, and with branding, it's, it's very similar. So it's like, you're, you're trying to, you have to think about what mindset the person receiving the information is in. And right. then how do you deliver this information in a way that makes sense and is consistent across all your, you know, your, your channels. Right. So um, they aren't so much different as they are kind of related to each other. Yeah. So like branding, branding becomes a very integral part of any user experience, a user interface design, because for example, the experience you had on our website right. was all ruled by our branding. Right. Right. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. they're kind of related. So, um, yeah. But as far as, as far as graphic design, let's say, the differences between designing a logo and designing a website, yeah, they, they, they are different in the sense that, you know, when you're designing a logo, it's a, it's a more limited amount of touch points that that logo is going to be a part of, right. as opposed to a website where you have to think about 
every single device that this person might potentially look at this website on. And you're not just talking, we're not just talking about screen views. We're also talking about what build of the software they're on, what operating system they're on. Right. That's holding the software. So there's a lot more. And then what disabilities does this person have? What, uh, you know, what, what concessions do you have to make for this person's disability? Right. So there's, there's a lot to consider that's, you know, that's very, it, it can be very random. It's yeah. like, you know, playing the lottery. Yeah. So you don't know what you're going to get. So you have to, you have to kind of predict. Yeah. And you have to um, design for the future pretty much without yeah. knowing what the future looks like. Yeah. Yeah. That's a hard task. <laughs> Props mm-hmm, to you guys mm-hmm. for being able to do it. And it, it seems like you're doing it really well. So um, yeah, UI I mean, and UX, and, and, it, can, and, it can be overwhelming. I feel like. It can be hard, but you, you put a lot of systems and processes in place so that those things, you know, so you account for all of that. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and so then how do you kind of balance between wanting to be artistic and maybe take some more artistic uh, risks, but then also keeping to the goal of making money for your clients? I think that's something you mentioned on your website that you, you really talk about how mm-hmm. you'll, you'll help them make more money. And I think when you're working with clients, you know, that aren't in the artistic field, which is who we would be working for, uh, that's mm-hmm. a big deal, right? They want to, they want to know what the return on investment is. Uh, so sure. how do you kind of balance the two taking those risks, but then also making sure you're reaching that goal? So it, if, if we're talking about taking risks, um, you just have to take calculated risks. But if right. you're talking about being artistic, the one thing I will say is that, and this is, you know, this is kind of like a, a mantra for us, right. is don't get your artistic release from work. So uh, we're, not cu- we're not doing what we do because we love designing. Yeah, we love designing. Therefore, this is why we do this. Right. But our creative, our creative release or our artistic uh, muscles aren't being flexed at work. So right. what we'll do is we'll have creative outlets, whether it's music, painting, drawing, cooking, other things in our personal lives mm-hmm. so that our, our need for creativity is not uh, born out of the work that we're doing for our clients. Right. Because you run the risk. If you do that, then you run the risk of one being too focused on what you want to do and not right. what's actually going to work for your client. Right. Right. And what's going to be actually be effective. And then you also run the risk of not making any money because right. if, if I'm over here just taking projects that are fun projects, but because it's a fun project, I'm going to give it at a discount, then you end up not making any money. Right. So, you know, it's, it's the way you balance it and the way we balance it here is that we have a, uh, creative outlets on our personal lives that can make up for the fact that we don't want to do that at work. So work is work and we come here to be effective and we use creativity to do what we do. Right. But it's not an outlet. It's just a tool. Right. At work is just a tool. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that's come up multiple times and from people across industries as well. Um, talking about how important it is to kind of have those things that you do for yourself outside of work. Um, and I, I remember 
working at an internship and and I even enjoyed the work like it was really fun but there is Mm -hmm. a lot to be said also for like coming home and then having like whether it's the weekend or after work just kind of sitting down and being like now I'm going to do whatever I want to do there's no restrictions to it I can do Mm -hmm. whatever I want Um, Mm -hmm. and and there is a lot to be said for that and there's a lot of like uh, I, I think it keeps you fresh in your work, you know, because you can get burnt out so easy without it. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And then how is laughing samurai, uh, broken up? So you guys, uh, do you all kind of work in all facets of it or are there sort of like different, different, uh, I guess like departments, that's like such a big word that feels like super corporate, but, uh, you get what I mean. Like, is there, is there Mm -hmm. different people doing different aspects of it all? Yeah. So we, we do have people with uh, specific expertise. Um, so, you know, we have people who are experts in analytics, we have developers, we have designers, and, and we have what we call client experts. Okay. So a client expert would understand everything that the client needs and what this product needs to do for the client. Right. And they kind of, they kind of hover across all the other disciplines. Right? Okay. But, um, but we, we try as much as we can not to work in silos. We work together. So a developer understands the whole before they're working on just their section of it. And right. as a designer, the designer understands the whole thing before they're working on their section of it. So they have a full understanding, not just of what this thing is supposed to do for the client, but also how does it relate to every other facet of this project? So when they're working, they're working with the coder, they're working with the analyst, they're working with the, with, with, a, with a thinker, a strategic thinker or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So that they have a full understanding of the whole thing, not just of the thing that they're doing. Right. So we don't have an assembly line type of mentality. It's more of a, you know, all hands on deck type of mentality where we all understand the project. We all understand how the project is going to be uh, done mm-hmm. from every point of it. So how is it going to be designed? How is it going to be developed? And how is it going to be measured? Right. So everyone knows it. So that when they're working, they're working with that understanding. Right. Yeah. So, and I imagine so, that's, mm-hmm. I was yeah. going to say, I imagine that's important to make sure that everybody's on the same page as well. Uh, because right. it's almost like if, if you don't know the overall goal of the project, but you're handed, you know, uh, the the user interface design, right? It's like, well, you can mm-hmm. do it all day long to your understanding, but it may not be accomplishing what it is that you want to do, um, which is interesting in and of itself that, you know, there's so many different ways to solve these things. But yeah, I would imagine mm-hmm. that's like super important to keep it collaborative. Yeah. And, and, and the one thing you don't want to do is put someone in a corner, whether it's an an analyst, a, a developer, or even the client. Yeah. So like even cause we, we take it past just a user experience of the viewer who's on the thing is also the user experience of the client. What is the client's experience of actually working on their website that you've created for them? Right. So we, we look at every aspect of it to make sure that we are covering our bases. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And then I want to kind of dive into one of the projects you guys uh, have worked on, and that's UCF. So uh, I think I mentioned you in an email yesterday. I'm actually just about six weeks out from graduation. Super excited. Uh, mm-hmm. But I saw that you guys mm-hmm. work for UCF, and I thought this would be a great one. I was torn because I also saw that you've worked with Tibby's, and Tibby's is incredible. I love their food. Uh, <laughs> so I, I was really torn on it, but I decided to go UCF since I'm about to graduate. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah, so yeah. What, what all do you guys do for UCF? So we've done a collection of things. Uh, we've done some brand uh, development. We've done video work, uh, but the bulk of what we've done is UX/UI. Uh, we we 
design a lot of their websites for a lot of the different schools and okay. different organizations within the, the university. So that's, that's what we primarily do. Very and, cool. Um, it's a, uh, it's, it's a, uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Uh, I, I always look at it and I always thought that the uh, UCF homepage, like just UCF.edu, I always thought it was really, really clean. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But that's really cool to know too that you kind of get into some of the other, the actual colleges themselves and stuff. Uh, so yep. when you did that, did you kind of, was it sort of like you set up like the main website and sort of like almost a brand guide for it and then kind of like did that out for the different colleges or how no. did that work? No, 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 the reverse. So okay. they have their brand guidelines okay. and- we have to kind of work and we have to work within their brand guidelines. Okay. But um, the way, the way creative is done through UCF is that um, even though you have your brand guidelines, you're still expected to kind of push it. Right. And, and because if not, then everything ends up looking exactly the same. Right. So um, one of the things that we usually get tasked with is like, how do we design something for, you know, a, a group or a school within the university and how do we make it look a little bit different so that it doesn't feel, so it feels like you just entered a new area. Right. You know what I mean? So that's, yeah. that's part of what we do. And they have a very, um, uh, very comprehensive uh, web standards uh, mm-hmm. guidelines that, that we have to adhere to for the most part. And then within those guidelines that we try to push and, you know, sometimes we have to pull back because we pushed a little too far. Right. And, but that's our job. And that's why right. they hire us. Uh, but, you know, the, the 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 big important thing there is that as one of the agencies that works with the university, we are also kind of responsible for making sure that the brand is still intact. Right. And we're, we're still like keeping the integrity of the brand across all these different sites. Right. So that's a big part of that's a big part of the responsibility that we hold as one of the agencies that work for them. Yeah. Uh, and so then how much collaboration happens with the marketing department? So uh, being with Victor, you know, we've taken a tour of the marketing department. I honestly had mm-hmm. no idea that there were outside like organizations or companies working for UCF. So I thought that was really interesting as well. Um, but mm-hmm. so how, mu- how much collaboration goes on there? Mm. We don't work. Uh, we have worked with the marketing department directly. But the way that they're structured is that you're not actually working with the marketing department directly. And Got I it. think okay. it's, and there's a reason for that is because they, they just don't have enough bandwidth yeah. and that's why we help them. So okay. instead of, instead of us having to work through the marketing department, we'll work directly with the clients within the, within the university. So if you have group ABC or foundation mm-hmm. XYZ within the university, we'll work directly with the foundation rather than going through marketing. Got marketing it. has already kind of vetted us and they've already approved us as an approved vendor so that we don't have to work through them and get things approved through them. Got so it. So we okay. just work directly with the with the foundations or whatever organization it might be. Got it. And then as long as we're using the right standards and the right um, guidelines, then, you know, that's part of the, our responsibility. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so then how does working with a university differ from working with a smaller client? Uh, Like you said, they have very comprehensive brand guidelines, web Mm -hmm. guidelines. Um, Do those projects tend to get a little bit more involved with it when it's with a university Uh, or maybe even the flip side, maybe if you have to build those brand guidelines from from scratch? Um, It it differs only in that um, the audience tends to be a little bit bigger for a university. 
So when you're working with a small client, you know, and also there's a difference between working with your money or working with other people's money, right? right. So there's also that. So the dynamics tend to be a little bit different. Um, but overall, the work itself doesn't change. Um, the, the relationship might be a little bit different, and, and, but the work itself doesn't change. Okay. Uh, the work is the work and the audience is the audience, yeah. whether it's a hundred people or a thousand people, like, you know, the task is still the task. Right. You know, so it, it might differ as far as um, internally as a corporate thing, it might be different, but as far as a project is concerned, it, it runs the same, it run pretty much the same. The approval processes might be a little different Yeah. because, you know, as opposed to approving from and getting approval from an owner, as opposed to getting approval from a team, that right. would be the only the only thing that would be really different. Right. But right. it's it's pretty much the same. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. that's crazy. Uh, talking about you know UCF and all. I wonder how many times I pulled up the website and looked at your work before I even you know had you on the show before I before yeah. I had ever known you. <laughs> that's crazy to think about that. A small that's world funny. for sure. Uh, yeah, that's funny. Well, with that, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the importance of typography in UX UI design. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. So, Gilbert, I want to dive into the importance of typography in UX UI design. Uh, I mentioned earlier that I'm very much into layout, so I do love some good fonts. Uh, so I think this is going to be a fun conversation, but I think they're also very different. So I, it'll be cool. I'm excited. Uh, so in general, what do you think is sort of the general importance of typography in UX UI design? If you had to kind of make it just a broad statement, how important is it? What is the importance of it? How does it affect UX UI designs? I feel like it's the most important thing. Yeah. Um, personally. And, and I feel like, um, not enough attention sometimes is paid to typography, um, as it relates to the user experience and the yeah. design of an interface. So for me, it's, it's my number one uh, place to start anything I'm ever designing for the web or for any interface or any app or anything. The, the place I start at is the font. Or okay. the typeface. What's the type family? What's the typeface I'm going to use, or what are the typefaces I'm going to use for this design? And and it's not a I pick the typeface and then I keep going. It's a I pick a typeface, I test it. I pick another one, I test it. Yeah. I pick another one, I test it, and it's a constant back and forth until I land on one that I'm like, okay, this is the one. Right. And that that process can take days sometimes. It's not quick. Yeah. Um, but it's where I start. Yeah. And, and for me, it, it, um, it dictates the rest of the, the interface. Yeah. A hundred percent. And so then whenever you're looking at these different, uh, typefaces, are there any sort of like, I guess, guidelines that you follow from the very beginning? Like I, I know like, uh, mm -hmm. sans serif typefaces I've always heard are a lot easier to read on screens. So are there any things like that that you kind of keep in mind when you're trying to make these decisions? Okay. So if we get into the technicals of it yes yeah, do it. there there, okay. there is a lot there's a lot of considerations to take um the first thing that i look at is variety okay so do i have all the weights that i need and do that do i have all the variations that i need I, in other words do i have the a normal and an italic version of mm -hmm. every weight that i would need to use now i don't use every weight um, right uh, on a on a 
on, an, on any given website, I might use three weights at the most. So it'll be a regular, uh, a middle weight that might be a light or a semi-bold. And then I would use a black or a bold, right? Right. So that's where I kind of start. Um, and then do I have all the italics that I need in case the, they, they use italics, right? So that's, that's kind of where I start. The other, the, the second thing that I look at is, okay, let's look at sizes. What does it look like when it's 12 pixels? What does it look like when it's a hundred pixels? And right. I see how it varies and how legible or readable it is because there, there's a difference between readable and legible. Okay. So readability and legibility are different things. Okay. Um, readability is, you know, how, how friendly is the typeface for it to let you read for an extended period of time. Mm -hmm. And then legibility is, is it actually even like, can you discern between a U and an A at a certain pixel right. size, for example? Right. So that's the difference for me between legibility and readability. Okay. So read, readability is very important um, because if not, then, you know, then why are we doing this? Right. right. Um, so then that's the second thing that I look at. And then, you know, the, the third thing that I look at is, and it's kind of the first or the overall thing that I look at is, does it fit the mood? Uh, right. What's the mood I'm going for? What's the tone I'm going for? Um, and does it match the brand? And does it match the market? Right. That's also important. Um, does it match the market we're looking at? Because just because I love Proxima Nova doesn't mean I'm going to use Proxima Nova everywhere. Right. Because it may not match the market. So that's the other thing that I look at. Um, so that that's kind of like how I go about it. Um, and then I test. Right. And by test, I mean, I, I put it through the ringer in my design. What does it look in a headline and a button on a header on a nav? Like, what does it look everywhere? Do I like it? Am I happy with it? I step away from it. And then if I am convinced it has to sell me, if the font right. doesn't sell me or the typeface doesn't sell me, then I keep going and I keep looking until I land on something that feels right. And at that point, it's just my gut and intuition. Like, does it feel right to me? Does it look like something I would be proud of? Or does it look like something that I would not be proud of? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so then if somebody comes to you and say they've already got like a brand guide and they have their body copy of something that just doesn't really feel like it's going to, you know, fit. Maybe, they, maybe they're coming from a more print background, so they're not as mm -hmm. familiar with this. Uh, mm -hmm. How much do you kind of push back on something like that and say, you know, for this instance, I think this is a better choice? Um, I always push back. Uh, okay. I do have, we do have standards by which we design things. So there's some rules that we don't break and some yeah. rules that we do break. Okay. Um, within, within, for me, within user interface design. Um, as far as pushing back um, I always push back and I always, uh, we don't really get that. First of all, it, it doesn't yeah. really come up as much Yeah. Um, because we are normally, usually we're trusted. When, right. When a client comes to us, they trust that we're doing what's right. Right. And for the most part, it I've never had the experience of someone not trusting our judgment. Um, now, what I, what I might have is, oh, can this be bigger? Can this be smaller? That's usually what I've had. And yeah. I have had clients come back and say, we don't like this typeface. Can we find something else? Right. But I usually will just find something else that will work within the construct of the original idea that I had. Right. So it doesn't, it won't vary too much. Right. Um, 
but as far as brand guidelines, what I what I will say is that um, your print brand guidelines may not necessarily translate to your web guidelines. Right. And, okay. And that's um, that's that's a a consideration that you have to take when creating guidelines for a brand. Yeah. Um, is what if if the brand and if should not even be a, a word that I use here, but if the brand has a presence online, mm-hmm. which nowadays is it will always have a presence yeah. online, um, then the brand needs um, an online style guide, right? No matter what, yeah. And and you know and and unfortunately, there are some brands out there who have made bad decisions because of that. Yeah. So because they want integrity, they have picked maybe typefaces that are not the prettiest typefaces just to keep integrity between print and web. Right. Um, but it's, it, it needs to be a consideration. And if, if the client we're working with doesn't have that as a consideration, then we usually make the recommendation to add this to your considerations. Right. Of things to do. Right. And so then, to that end, because again, you know, I'm not overly familiar with UI UX design. I've pretty much been always in print. Um, but mm-hmm. I know that one of the things that does come up a lot, right, is consistency. You do want that consistency. So I get where mm-hmm. somebody might think that that's important. So when you're picking a, a typeface or a type family for the the online presence, the UX UI design, do you mm-hmm. try to find something that also fits within the print guidelines? Like, is that something that you're trying to keep cohesive as you're doing that? Yes. Uh, so there is the off chance where, um, let's say the biggest issue for, for me is body copy, right? We call it the P tag in, in web. So the right. paragraph tag. Um, and that's one that, um, the wrong choice can make your text not very readable yeah, or not very friendly for long reading. Right. So that's where I would make recommendations to the client to maybe pick something that feels the same, but has been optimized for screen. Right. Um, and some of those optimizations might be, usually it's X height and yeah. ascenders and descenders. Um, like a low X height doesn't work well online. You want a, okay. a high X height because it looks clearer, but you don't want it too high where it looks all caps. Cause then right. you have, there's a balance there. Yeah. Um, so that that usually is a consideration that needs to be taken. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, as far as print guidelines, you you just try to pick something that feels the same. And the, the good thing is that there's so much being done for web typography right now. Yeah. That a, a lot of typefaces that already existed have online cousins right. that have been optimized for screen. So good examples of that could be like Mrs. Eves, for example, from Emigre. Mm-hmm. They they have the print version of Mrs. Eves for a while, but then they created a, a web version of Mrs. Eves that was created specifically for body copy, with right. taller X height and things like that. So those are those are things that you can look at. So if if there is a print guideline, what I would recommend is first go see if there is a web version of that print font. Because right. sometimes there is. Uh, and what the designers have done is redesigned it slightly to work for screen. Yeah. And sometimes that will happen. But also, you can also find things that looks the same. Um, right. So there's there's so much out there that you can find something that looks almost the same and 
to us, it might not be exactly the same and we know it, right. but to, to a layman, it doesn't matter. It feels the same to the layman. And that's yeah. sometimes you have to make those concessions. Yeah. I remember uh, we had a, a class we had to take type and design and it was all about uh, typography and we learned it in some of our like uh, main design classes as well. Uh, but I remember kind of diving into that. I actually had, uh, you know about, uh, what what are they? Pichacushas? Pechacushas? Yep. Something like that? Yep. Yeah, so we mm-hmm. have to do that at UCF. They, they make us do it. And it's like the dreaded PKs that we have to do. But uh, I had mm-hmm. mine on uh, early typography. And so I, I had to do like a whole deep dive into it. And it's really interesting. But I remember, man learning about all of it. And I used to think I was good at fonts and stuff. And now I look back and I'm like, no, 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 no. But there's so much <laughs> you're talking about, uh, X height, you know, a senders, D senders, yeah. all that kind of stuff. There's so mm-hmm. much that goes into it. And, and people who are making like fonts, you know, you see all these ones online for free and all that. And I'm like, when you get like a really good font though, like, I feel mm-hmm. like now I can appreciate it so much more. There's so much that goes into it, especially yeah. even just making it different weights could be a big mm-hmm. headache. Um, mm-hmm. so there's a lot to be said for really good fonts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Uh, and so then kind of circling back, I touched on this earlier, uh, but so with screen sizes varying, right? You've got desktop computers. You've got, I don't know, uh, iMac versus, you know, a 13-inch MacBook Pro. Even just that, you know, there's phones, all these different things. How do you approach mm-hmm. the size of typography? And this could be something that maybe in, you know, whenever you're actually coding things, it can be relative. I'm not sure. But how do you approach mm-hmm. the size of typography? Uh, and, and and yeah, is it more of a relative thing where it's related to the other elements in the screen size? Or do you kind of set that in as like a specified value? So, yeah. So when it comes to web typography and it's called responsive typography, yeah. Um, what you, you a hundred percent said it, it's it, based on relation. Okay. So, um, we use percentages okay. uh, for the most part. Sometimes you can you can specify exact sizes, but um, the web doesn't always work that way, right? Right. So you don't know exactly what what someone is going to be on, but you do know that your headline is 110 percent larger than the subhead. Right. So as long as you use those those percentages, you can you can size typography like that. Um, so yeah, and and and. You do have kind of standards and you have viewports. So you have different breakpoints. They're called breakpoints and you have different viewpoints at each each one of those breakpoints. Okay. And you design for those, which are like the majority. And, and that's usually how UX UI design works. You work for the majority. Right. Um, you don't work for the one to two percent. So um, because the one to two percent can upgrade. Right. Right. So. Um, that's 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 pretty much it. So yeah, we 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 work in percentages. We work in relation. So relative to this, this size, this is this size relative to this other thing. Mm-hmm. But there are some caps and standards. So like for mobile, there's always a, a, a your paragraph is always going to be the same size, right? You know, and how far to the edge of the screen do you want to be, and things like that. So right. there are standards that we go by, and then. Your headlines are the ones that might vary. Right. And also you want to look at word length because word length has a lot to do with it too. So, you know, um, that's why we test and retest and retest. So, and try to test it in as many devices as we can to see if word length is a thing so that if you're not trying to hyphenate a headline, which probably looks horrible, (laughs) you, you look at that headline and you may have to change the headline, which we also do. So it's not just about designing for everything, you also can give 
the client standards and say, hey, don't use a headline that uses a word that has too many letters in it because right. this is going to happen to it. Right. Um, we can try to account for everything, but you can also give guidelines to the client and to whoever is managing the site to create copy that fits within the construct of what you built. Yeah. And so then whenever you're, whenever you're kind of like starting a design, um, so it's relative, do you ever start with like maybe, you know, one thing that's uh, like maybe you're putting in the actual value, if that makes sense? Like, do you start with something maybe at say 10 point font or something just to start there mm-hmm. and then from there kind of build the percentages around that? Um, again, I'm not familiar with this and I think it's interesting. So I mean, it's, it's yes, there are a lot of standards, Okay. Um, but uh, it all depends on the design and the feeling. Okay. So just in, in for this is me advice to you. Okay. Stop thinking about it like web design. Think about it like print design. Okay. And then you can, you can pull back. You can always pull back. Right. Right. So if you approach a website or you approach a, a, let's say a website, Okay. okay. You're approaching a website instead of looking at it, like it's this scrolling page, look at it. Like it's a view. Right. if, If I'm looking at this website and I'm looking at this horizontal view, Think of it as a horizontal poster or a right. horizontal page on in a in a book. You can look at it as a horizontal page in a book. So follow all the same guidelines. Like would you put would you put body copy from one end to the other end of a horizontal page? Right. One in one straight line. You probably yeah. would never do that. Right. You would do columns. So yeah. then you do columns. Um, would you do a headline that like you design it exactly like how you would design a, p- a page in a book? Yeah. And then you start thinking about concessions that you may have to make for code, but right. you start where you need to start. Okay. And then you can always pull by, pull back. Yeah. I will tell you that right now, everything is possible in code. Yeah. Everything, anything you want to do is possible in code. So it doesn't matter. It, it, it really doesn't matter. So um, stop thinking in boxes, mm-hmm. stop thinking in, um, and like you, you start thinking more about the layout. What does the layout look like? And does it look good? And then right. you can pull back from there. Okay, no, we can't put this here. This needs to move over. Right. This needs to move over and stuff like that. So right. I don't know if that if that answered your question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So absolutely. You, you do have standards. Like yeah. there's standards for body copy. There are standards for headlines. There are standards for subheads for your H1s, your H2s, your H3s. But those can change. They're right. not set in stone. The only right. one, the only ones that for me are set in stone are body copy. Like if I'm designing a blog, then I want I want people to read the blog. So I usually have standards that I use there that have been proven through science right. that help you read more. Right. So things like that, because there's a lot of data in what we do too. Yeah. So and 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 we haven't really talked about data too much, but um, it's all in the data. Like, it's not about what I think looks good. It's about what the data has told me is more effective. Right. So, so yeah, if this headline needs to be smaller, if I test this headline at 100 pixels and then I test it at 70 pixels and 70 pixels proves to be 10% more effective, then I'm going to leave it at 70 pixels. Right, right. And you, you'd be amazed at how much a couple pixel difference on a button will raise or lower its effectiveness. Yeah, 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 that's interesting. And it's, I, I've and it's never... all in the data. It's all in the data. Yeah. And that's the advantage of, of 
what what I do in UX and UI and web design right. that is a disadvantage for print designers. Print designers, you have no idea how effective something is. Right. All you have is opinions. Right. But I have actual data that I can look at and say, well, this button isn't being clicked or this button is being clicked or this page isn't being read. Right. This page is. What makes this page, you know, more readable than this other page? Right. Yeah, I was going to say, because that's definitely not a perspective I've ever seen from. Um, and you're right. Yeah, we don't have, I mean, we don't have any good way to track that. We can't figure no, out how long people have... are spending on the page of a magazine. Um, exactly. Yeah, there that's, is no that's interesting. Yeah, very cool. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Uh, and so then looking at some of the design principles, right? There's like hierarchy, color, different things like that. Um, mm-hmm. How can typography help kind of guide your eye through a page? Um, the same way, same way you would do with print design, hierarchy, hierarchy messaging, color. Um, so it's, it's, it's at that point, all the design principles are exactly the same. Right. And they're just kind of on crack at this point yeah. because like we're using data to dictate where things live and, and how far things can be from each other and stuff like that. Yeah. But at that point, um, um, at, at the point of design, it's all the same principles. Right. So hierarchy messaging is a thing. Color is a thing. Color theory is a thing. Um, but then you you add an extra layer there because accessibility needs to be a thing for for web design. Right. So, you know, you can't do things that are too low contrast with each other. There's certain colors that you can't use. And then there are other considerations that you have to take, like, you know, if you design a whole page in a red and red and then mm. you put white type on a big red page, you're not going to be able to read it because it's right. a red light shining in your eyes all the time. So right. there are things like that that you have to still consider. Yeah. But yeah. It, but but at that point, um, all those design principles are exactly the same. Right. Like it doesn't change. Um, there's an there's an added um, there's an added layer that you don't have. Um, in print design, which is usability. Yeah. Because in print design, you just want someone to read where in, in, in user experience design, you want someone to interact. Right. Not always, but sometimes you want someone to also interact. So if I want you to click something and if I want you to do something, I have to be able to say that on the page. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then from your experience, uh, what would be one thing that you think you should never do with typography in UX UI design? Ooh. Um, risk effectiveness over art. That's okay. I think that's, that's what the thing I would say. Yeah. So what I will say is that not all web typefaces are good for the web. Okay. So there are some typefaces out there that are extremely heavy, meaning like the file sizes are really big. Yeah. Which will affect your page speed, which can affect things on your page. Okay. So page speed is something that we um, focus on a lot here because the slower your, your, your site is, the lower your score is going to be for the search engines. Right. So, that, so it's a consideration you have to take. So, and, and also creates frustration for the user. Yeah. So if you're, if you're landing on this page and you use this font that is incredible in your mind, but it takes forever to load and the, the person doesn't see it right away. You have one, two seconds to make an impression. Yeah. And if it takes more than one, two seconds for someone, I mean, I'm sure you've closed websites because it took one, two seconds for yeah, it to load. I have for sure. So that's, yeah, that's a thing. Yeah. So 
that's a consideration you have to take. How big is the file? And you don't want to overload also like how many fonts are you using on the page? Right. The more fonts you use, the heavier it's going to get. And right. it may not, it may not seem like a lot, but typefaces can, can cost a lot when it comes to, when it comes to uh, file sizes and speed. Yeah. So, absolutely. so definitely it's risking, um, effectiveness over uh, artistic uh, freedom or integrity. Yeah, absolutely. So there, and then, there's a balance there. Yeah. And then uh, what, what is your favorite font? You mentioned Proxima Nova. I don't know if that's it, but what's your favorite no, font? It's not, okay. That's not my favorite font. Okay. I, don't have a, I honestly don't have a favorite font. Okay. Um, I saw the question and I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> it's like asking someone, what's your favorite movie? And they're a movie buff. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or what's your favorite dish when you like to cook? It's, yeah. It's it's hard to answer. Yeah. I think, um, and this might sound cliche but my favorite font is what i was going to work the best yeah you know what i mean so yeah yeah i have fonts that i gravitate to i have fonts that i keep on all the time on my system but you know i try not to do that because then it starts all your design starts looking the same right so that's why i try to i start i try to start with a clean slate every time i work on something right so that you know this client's work doesn't look like this client's work right so yeah, yeah it's it's tough yeah i mean Maybe, maybe Helvetica because it's like, I'm from New York and the train system uses <laughs> Helvetica bold. Yeah. So maybe Helvetica because it's nostalgic for me, but yeah, I don't know that I have like a favorite font. Yeah. Even though my business partner would say otherwise, because he feels like I design <laughs> everything in Futura bold. That's, that's funny. Not true. You know, I, I actually just asked Victor that, uh, not mm -hmm. that long ago, his favorite font. Uh, and he said that Futura bold was his as well. So. There you Future go. Future Bold is a good one. It's a good font. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so then if you had one piece of advice to give to a creative listening to the show, what would it be? Uh, don't never stop learning. I mean, you can't stop learning um, and and never stop being more effective. That's 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 the only thing that I keep telling everybody. All, all my students, I used to say the same thing. Like, you're never going to stop learning. Yeah. Um, the moment you think you know it all, then you failed. Yeah. Because you always need, you constantly need to be in a state of learning. Yeah. Learning new ways of doing things, learning new ways to uh, work faster, work better, be smarter, um, and and adapt. Because yeah. design is not static. Design yeah. is like its own, you know, glob of, of whatever happening in the universe. And yeah. It's going to be constantly changing based on, you know, everything. Yeah. based on the world. So if you stop and you get stuck in what you think is the right way to do things, then you literally get stuck. So keep learning, keep evolving, keep moving forward and keep, um, keep thinking that you don't know it all. Absolutely. It's a great piece of advice. Uh, well with that, we are going to wrap up today's show, but where can everyone find your work Gilbert? Uh, laughing samurai.com will be the place to go. Perfect. Um, that's uh, a lot of our stuff is there. And and if you follow us on social media every now and then we'll post some funny stuff of, that we worked on. Cool. And mm -hmm. as I always do, I'll have links to that in the podcast notes below. Uh, so make sure to hit that up, connect with them, check out their work. They really do have some awesome work. And uh, Gilbert, a huge thank you again for being on the show. I really enjoyed our conversation. I appreciate you taking time to be on. 
Awesome. Thank you for having me. This was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you everyone for listening to this episode of Creatively Brief. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to subscribe, leave a review and follow us on social media at Creatively Brief. I'll be back next week with another episode, but until then, have a great week, everyone. I'll talk to you guys in the next one. <laughs>